Welcome to A Slice of SEL, a podcast for educators about social-emotional learning. Welcome to A Slice of SEL. We're the SEL services team at the St. Croix River Education District. I'm Nick. I'm Rye. And I'm Courtney. And to recap, this week we are concluding, finishing our five-episode series about integrated SEL instruction, also known as weaving SEL into academic instruction throughout the day. And we have been going in these episodes grade band by grade band and talking through examples, many examples, of activities for how to do SEL integration. It really sounds a lot kookier and scarier than it actually is. During this series, you've hopefully been picking up activity ideas for your classroom, but really the other benefit is just learning about the SEL standards in Minnesota themselves. And it's important to have some fluency in those five standards areas because they're the foundation of everything we're doing in SEL. All roads lead back to those SEL standards. If we're doing things right, pretty much everything we're doing across the school day is supporting students in meeting those SEL standards. And to preview this week, we're chatting about standards area number five out of five, responsible decision-making. These skills are like our compass, and it covers, for example, knowing what our options are when we're making a decision, weighing pros and cons, understanding the consequences of each option we could pick, and making a good choice. And at younger ages, this can be simple things like safe versus unsafe, But when we get to high school, for example, you've got very sophisticated decisions where we're factoring in ethics, for example. And this also covers reflecting on decisions afterward and learning from our mistakes. But before that, let's talk about what's filling our bucket. Um, I will go first. Uh, A couple of things were filling my bucket this week, but just today, you guys are probably really excited about this too. And I don't know, Nick and Courtney, if you've heard, but Taylor Swift is dropping new music tonight. <laughs> I did hear that. So that is filling my bucket, I, at least this hour. Congratulations to you, Rye, <laughs> and congratulations to the world. Right. <laughs> um, what's filling my bucket? Um, a couple of things, but I'm going to say we finished a self-care club that we've been doing over the last six weeks. So we... Um, created this cross-district self-care club over Zoom where teachers and educators from across our districts could come and spend up to 45 minutes a week learning about self-care strategies and just supporting each other. And it's been really nice. And it was nice to have a, a meeting to conclude it and wrap it up. So really, really filled my bucket. That was really fun to be a part of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was really great. Um, and I'll go last. So I have two things that are filling my bucket. First thing is Rye being back. I missed you. It's really great to be able to work with you again. And I got to go out into the buildings yesterday. And I meant to just do like a quick five-minute check-in with one of the school psychs. And it turned into like a 25-minute just catch-up session. And it was just wonderful to be able to socialize (laughs) again. It was awesome. And it really was rejuvenating. But um, we will shift into our main topic. So what is integrated SEL instruction? So it's kind of like the counterpart of that explicit SEL instruction. Um, It's important to set aside time to teach SEL skills directly, and you can use a curriculum like Second Step or our Be Good People curriculum, and those are those explicit SEL instruction times. 
could also weave this teaching in throughout the school day, making it part of each of those content areas that we're teaching. And that is what we mean when we say that integrated SEL instruction. And these aren't competing practices. They are both very important. Yes, both are very important. So let's also briefly talk about what this looks like concretely in practice. Because if you're if you're new to this and hearing about it for the first time, it probably sounds a lot kookier or scarier than it actually is. Chances are you're probably doing quite a bit of this and you're just not aware of it or you wouldn't label it integrated SEL instruction. So there's a lot of activities that we do or that we could do that are going to blend this SEL into academics. And one way that this can look like concretely is taking an academic lesson plan and actually writing an SEL focus area on the top of it. And that's just documenting and planning so we can be intentional about what we're planning to do. Um, some of the activities you're going to hear about in this episode won't quite fit that model, though. Um, and in our first episode in this series, we talked about, for example, like encouraging students to sign up for clubs. So that's an example of SEL integration, but it's not something I could picture myself really writing on a math lesson plan, for example. So most of the stuff we're going to talk about, I think you're going to hear and you're going to see the connection and say, yeah, I could probably see myself writing that on a lesson plan. Just some of it won't quite match that. And FYI, we are going to include a few example lesson plans in the show notes so you can see what this looks like. Um, we also want to mention that the example activities that we are talking about today come straight off of that Minnesota uh, state SEL standards list. Um, the state standards include a bunch of integration examples, so schools don't have to come up with all of this from scratch. So we're going to run through these examples by grade band, starting with K through three. So if you don't teach K through three, I would suggest you look at the time codes in your podcast app and skip ahead. So talking K through three, the first benchmark that we are going to talk about is implement, stop, think, and act strategy when making decisions. So this is the benchmark we want students to hit, the stop, think, and act strategy. And an activity example is just routinely encouraging students to stop, think, and act anytime they face a choice or a decision. So because of this benchmark, I'm going to talk about explicit SEL instruction for just a sec, and then I'm going to come back to that integrated piece. Because of this benchmark, our Be Good People curriculum has a very recognizable stop, think, act visual with traffic signs, so like a stop sign for stop, included in the lesson when we're talking about how to make choices for students. And especially if you have set aside time, like lesson time, to familiarize students with that visual, and that's what we would call explicit instruction, like actually walking them through how do we stop, think, and then act, once you've done that, then you can reference that all the time whenever there's opportunities. And that's a great way to weave it in and make it meaningful for kids. And we don't just talk about stop, think, and act the one time. We keep using that all day long. So there's going to be spontaneous instances like free time, for example. Maybe all the computers are being used and you see a little kiddo breaking into tears because all the computers are being used and we could talk them through. Let's stop, take a big belly breath, and then we'll think what are our choices, and then we'll act, we'll make the best choice. So you could also do this in a planned way during a lesson. So just for example, say you've got two different groups working on two different versions of an art project, you could guide the whole class. Let's stop, think which choice do we like better, and then act to make our choice. So that's a planned, intentional way where I could weave it in to a lesson plan. The next one is understand that decisions have positive and negative effects on themselves and others. The activity for this is use story time to discuss how characters made decisions and how those de decisions affected themselves and others. 
So the first story that came to mind for me for this one was the story of the three little pigs and more specifically how each pig made their house out of a different material and what effect that decision made on them and the rest of their piglet siblings. So, (laughs) of course, the first pig made his out of straw and finished first. The second pig made his out of sticks and finished next. And those two pigs maybe had more time to do other things that they probably had more fun doing. But the last pig took his time and made his house out of bricks and finished last. Um, But when that big bad wolf came by, um, whose house did all the little pigs end up running in ultimately saved them from the big bad wolf? It was that that pig that made it his um, house out of bricks. Thanks so. for finishing that, Raya. I like to right? think Courtney and I were unfamiliar <laughs> we were just like sitting on the edge of our seats waiting for the answer. But that's, well, a, I mean, that's a perfect example because there's three very clear choices of materials mm-hmm. in that story. And you can, without even using the, the words pros and cons, like walk students, little kiddos through like pros of straw. Well, we have more time for fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Cons. It fell right down when the when the wolf blew on it. So, great example. Uh, when I was researching like the story because it had been so long, there was so many different adaptations. I just couldn't decide which one to use. So this one, I hope, was more familiar with everyone else. But awesome. <laughs> All right, the next benchmark well is really the same that Rye just did, but another activity. So in social studies, uh, read biographies of leaders and discuss their decisions and the effects of the decisions on others. Um, so this one is really just a reiteration of what Rye just went over, kind of, but instead of using a story, we would use someone from history, maybe Abraham Lincoln's decisions as a president, and then positive and negative effects that those decisions had. Yeah, great example. Uh, the last one is explain the consequences and rewards of actions on self, others, or group. So an activity is teach a vocabulary vocabulary lesson on consequences During story time, routinely ask students what the consequences of a character's decisions were. So going back to my (laughs) three little pigs, uh, but this time maybe from a different perspective, you could ask questions like what was the consequence for each um, pig's material choice? Um, For example, the pig who made his house out of straw got done so fast, but his house was the first one to blow over. Or you could talk about the consequences um, for the big bad wolf's greedy behavior, which eventually led him to landing his bottom in a big pot of boiling water for wolf soup. (laughs) (laughs) That's an example of how some of those older, really familiar stories have pretty dark endings if you think to spend too long thinking about it. Um, We are going to move on to grade band four through five. And the first benchmark we're going to talk about is identify positive and negative consequences of decisions for oneself and others. So an activity example for this is you could ask students to write a response to a journal prompt or create an art project that shows a decision that they made and the positive and negative consequences for themselves and or for other people. And you could have students share in small groups. So I think with that example where you're having students Uh, talk about a decision that they made it's a little bit more personal and I think the reason why they threw small groups at the end of that is they're alluding to you know even if we work with students and have shared agreements or expectations or rules in our classroom that make our discussions a little bit more of a safe place for students to share I think generally like we've all met plenty of students who are still hesitant to be that vulnerable in front of a whole group during a whole group discussion. So I think the idea they're getting at there is if you are going to do an art project or write in a journal and have students 
write about a decision that they made that's a little bit more personal, you probably want to have them share in small groups that are a little bit safer versus the whole group. But another way to make things a little bit safer and not ask so much vulnerability of the students is to do the same kind of activity, but then, of course, ask about characters in a story in an ELA text or real historical figures. Um, and you could discuss the impact of choices that they made. So it's not so much a personal choice that the student made. And you could use an impact web graphic organizer, for example. And that's exactly what it sounds like. You've got the choice, you know, in the middle, and then you've got the little web, all these little circles that come off of that main one. And those are the consequences and ripples of that choice. Or you could do a consequence chart, which may sound fancy, but Google it. You know, it's pretty simple. It's same idea, just organized a different way. You can't see it, but Nick is like using his hands to like explain all of these different <laughs> graphic organizers. But I think you did a great job. <laughs> Always and forever gesturing, right? It's just too bad podcasts are an audio medium. <laughs> the next one is generate alternative solutions to their identified problems. So an example uh, or an activity, sorry, is use examples from literature to ask students to generate alternative solutions and or alternative choices a character could have made. Um, one of the books that I researched about this grade band, uh, one of them that came up is the book called Wonder. So you'll know if any, if you know anything about this book, you'll know that each chapter is written from a different character's point of, point of view. Each character has their own set of conflicts, and it would be an easy discussion surrounding a variety of perspectives for this benchmark and activities. But just uh, to kind of tell you a little bit more, the major conflict in this story is between Augie and his peers. Without giving too much detail away, Augie befriends a boy named Jack Will, and eventually the relationship gets damaged. So Jack Will has to decide if he wants to fix his friendship with Augie, which was really special, or keep on hanging out with his new friends who maybe aren't making the best decisions. So you could just ask your students about the decisions that Jack Will made that got him into the situation he's in, and then try to help them generate alternative choices to help him get him out. You really sold that book, Ray. <laughs> I love that story, and that movie is so cute. Every teacher and paraprofessional, I haven't read it, but every teacher and paraprofessional I've talked to who has and worked on it with students has really enjoyed that book. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a fantastic example and just a another illustration. Like These choices in, in literature and history texts are all over the place, and it's just infinite opportunities to practice decision-making with kids. Yeah, and when I was using that book and kind of trying to find an idea to use out of that book, there was so many other literary elements, too, that you can use from that book. So if any literature teacher is in the room, that's that's a good one to use for, for lots of lessons. The next um, activity comes from the same benchmark where I just went over that generating alternative solutions to their identified problems. So the activity is use examples from history to ask students to generate alternative solutions and or alternative choices a historical figure could have made and how it may have affected events. Full disclosure, I had to rely on Nick's history brain to get some <laughs> input on this because I am just so out of touch with what um, students are learning in history in these different grade bands. So for this activity, you could have students review the conflict between the Confederacy and the Union at uh, Gettysburg and how the strategy that the Confederate generals used proved to be very ineffective and ultimately cost them the Civil War. Um, you could have students discuss what may have happened had the generals made a different decision at that time. Yeah, there are a lot of key points in the Battle of Gettysburg where if the 
southern generals had made different choices, things might have turned out very differently. And we're glad that they made the choices <laughs> that they did. Very glad. Um, the next benchmark we're going to talk about is assess consequences of possible solutions for the identified problems and demonstrate methods for reaching consensus or a decision. So an activity example is, number one, establishing a decision-making formula for the class. And uh, we talked a little bit about this in the K through three grade band, um, and that for K through three, the kind of decision-making formula that those littles would use is like stop, think, and act. And when we get up to this grade level, things are a little bit more sophisticated. But anyway, once we've established that formula, routinely encouraging students when there are natural opportunities to practice that decision-making formula when they're confronted with a decision. So asking students about, you know, their options, the consequences for each option, and then providing students with some feedback as they're working through the decision and after they've made a choice. So putting this in concrete terms, there's a, a link to explicit SEL instruction, because when we're talking about establishing a decision-making formula, that's the kind of thing you would do with a curriculum like Second Step or Be Good People. Most SEL curriculums are going to include some kind of step-by-step -step formula for helping kids understand how we make choices. It's not earth-shattering. I mean, it, it's got basic components, like you got to have multiple options, you should assess the pros and cons, the consequences that would come with each of those options, and then you make a decision. That's how everyone makes choices, really. Um, so again, those curriculums are a great time to actually teach that explicitly, but then you can weave that in all day. Like Once you've established that formula, there are so many opportunities throughout the day to then leverage that and have students practice it. Limitless opportunities. So a lot of these decisions students are making are spontaneous. They're split-second decisions that they're making. But aside from those like spontaneous, everyday problems that students bring to you or choices that they have to make, you could plan to integrate this during instruction. So just for example, say you've got two activity or project options for students to pick from, you could take a second pull out a graphic organizer maybe, depends on how elaborate you want to be, um, but guide students through that decision-making formula. And you could even throw like a simple T-chart on the, on the smart board um, and walk students through their options and the pros and cons of each one and help them make their decision in a more intentional way. I love that. So we are moving into the sixth through eighth grade band now. And the first benchmark we'll talk about is recognize the effect of peer pressure on decision-making. An activity for this is to use examples in literature to discuss how peer pressure, including perceptions about what peers are thinking, may have influenced a character's decision. So my mind immediately goes to the character in the or the characters in the movie Mean Girls and how they pressured Katie to change who she was just so she could fit in. But I suppose a more age-appropriate example um, would be to review the characters in The Outsiders. I don't know if they're still reading that, but it was a great book, and I taught it to my class. <laughs> And talk about how peer pressure impacted each of those characters and how they may have behaved differently or made different choices had they not chosen to just follow what their peers did. Great example of peer pressure. I really hope that they're still teaching the outsiders. I because do too. I love if that. I, you know, in like five, ten years, like say like don't change pony boy and like mm. a Gen Zer doesn't recognize that at all, it's gonna break my heart. So sad. <laughs> Uh, the next one is gather additional information from multiple sources to generate alternative solutions. Uh, the activity is students complete a project where they actively seek outside sources of information to infer inform decision making. 
So an idea for this could be uh, in a health class where kids are beginning to learn about mental health and suicide risk, have your students research how other schools might be reducing mental health stigma and have them generate ideas for how similar efforts could look in your school. Yeah, a lot of investigation and information gathering that could go into that. And I'll admit I'm a little bit still distracted because I think I got that quote wrong. I think it's stay gold, pony boy. I think a minute ago I said, goodness gracious, I just had to correct myself. (laughs) If there's an English teacher listening who is like, Nick got it wrong. (laughs) I caught myself. Okay. So the next benchmark we're going to talk about is discuss alternatives in relation to multiple contextual factors. And that's a heck of a sentence. And what they mean is um, being able to describe the different options that you have available and how they relate to the context of the decision that you're making. And an activity example is encouraging students to explore or research the outcomes of any choice that they're making when they're faced with the decision. So the concrete example that I came up with is a little bit backtracking and more about reconstructing the reasoning. And the activity example I thought of is when you're providing feedback to students, you as the teacher, or when you're guiding peer reviews and they're reviewing each other's work and say that they are doing a piece of persuasive writing or they're preparing a presentation. These are some questions you could ask them. How did you arrive at this decision to do X, Y, and Z? And then in responding to that question, the student would be reconstructing their reasoning for you, the options that they considered, and why they decided to organize their persuasive writing a certain way, or choose a certain kind of argument, or why they decided to um, have a certain kind of opening to their presentation. And then a second question you could ask, like if you changed X, Y, and Z, how would your project change or how would it have changed? So those are kind of questions where in just the typical routine process of giving students feedback or guiding peer reviews, you can guide them to be reconstructing their reasoning and thinking deeply about the options that they actually have available. Because students often, I think, operate pretty impulsively and they just kind of go with their first instinct and you can have them step back. And that's part of good work reflection. Like this is the first thing I thought of doing, but what are my other options? And how would my project or my work change and get better possibly if I made a different decision? I was just going to say, I love that for that writing piece, because it gets them to think about why they made the decision they made. And they might have just been in the flow of things and not really thought about why they chose to write the specific way they did and gives them an opportunity to improve. Absolutely. And if they do go to college, that will prepare them well, because one of my side jobs in college was working at the writing center. And there were plenty of freshmen, sophomores, and beyond who um, were still kind of in that mode of the first thing that I put down on paper is what I'm going with, and then not kind of used to stepping back and saying, could I have made different choices or set this up differently? Great example. All right, the next benchmark we're going to talk about is analyze the reasons for school rules and local laws and identify the ethical values and social norms they support. And the activity example that comes up in the MD standards is basically that just when you're talking about local laws or if you bring up school rules have students in a journal format or any kind of discussion format reflect on the reasons that those local laws or school rules exist so i think the most likely place this is going to occur is a civics class for example like laws are going to come up it might be local laws it might be state laws federal laws if it's you know, social studies or history class, those federal laws can come up, for example. And you could ask students what ethical values or social norms do they think are behind those laws. And you could set them up for success by maybe giving them a few options of 
or examples of what an ethical value is and have them choose from a list and then maybe write about it, get those wheels turning. And then you could have them analyze and critique the law, like the pros and cons of what that law achieved. And you could ask them a question like, if it were up to you, would you change that law? And how would you change it? And why? And that can inspire some really deep processing about the the decision making that's involved in making laws and rules in general. I think sometimes our kids are quick to think that rules should be changed just because they don't like them. And I think this activity would be really good because you could go even further in depth to see, like, how would things be different if the law was changed? Like, what would what would the, the butterfly effect of those laws changing be? I love that example, Nick. Yeah, um, I was thinking the exact same thing. A lot of uh, adolescents that I've worked with are pretty quick to say, like, well, I don't like this rule. And then you, if you actually have a calm conversation, like, well, okay, say that we changed it and it was this instead or say that we had no rules at all like actually walking through like what effects and ripples they think Mm -hmm. that would have um is a good good processing activity absolutely so shifting to our high schoolers and the 9 through 12 grade band the benchmark we're going to focus on first is analyze and evaluate evidence arguments claims and benefits to inform effective decisions so in addition to the activity examples that we've generally been focusing on in these episodes, the Minnesota SEL standards also draw connections to academic standards. And there are a couple ELA standards here that are almost exactly the same as that SEL benchmark that I read. And one is writing arguments and supporting their claims using valid reasoning and relevant and sufficient evidence. And the other is kind of the flip side where we're evaluating someone else's argument or someone else's claims and assessing whether or not they're using valid reasoning or if their evidence is sufficient. So us making that strong argument or evaluating the quality of someone else's argument. And I think this has so much to do with critical thinking. And a common teacher frustration that I've seen or heard from colleagues is, hey, I saw another post online from a parent saying that teachers really need to be teaching critical thinking. Like, what are schools doing? Like, why aren't we having our students learn critical thinking? And the retort that I typically hear is, well, the class isn't called critical thinking, but critical thinking is woven into the curriculum in many areas. And I think when we recognize that critical thinking goes hand in hand with this SEL standards area of responsible decision making, that's just a perfect encapsulation of what we've been talking about in these episodes where um, you're probably already doing some quote unquote integrated SEL instruction without even realizing it. Because what a lot of teachers say is like, I'm already teaching critical thinking. The class just isn't called critical thinking. So an example of what this actually might look like in class is, Courtney, you've talked about, like you taught in high school and critical events were something you tried to weave into your class all the time. And in pop culture, we know kids are seeing information from non-credible sources, like posted on social media, presented on various TV channels. And we want them to have the skills to understand persuasion strategies, standards of evidence. So in ELA, for example, when we are learning about how to make quality arguments or evaluate the quality of someone else's argument, you could weave in those current events or any text you're reading. It just goes so hand in hand with what we're trying to achieve here. Absolutely, Nick. So like when I would teach about current events in my class, we would always look to see if those sources that the students got their events from um, were credible or talk about um, who was writing the source and like what their background was. 
Absolutely. And you can also, I'm, I'm just thinking of when we teach students to recognize different kinds of arguments, like at, when someone's attacking credibility, instead of actually discussing the substance and the logic of the argument, just teaching students to recognize that is a great example of this. That's going to also help them recognize negative per, uh, peer pressure and respond to it appropriately, for example. So many connections. Absolutely. The next benchmark we're going to chat about is demonstrate the ability to consider personal responsibility social norms, safety concerns, concerns, and ethical standards when making decisions. So just an activity example, in ELA, science, social studies, um, discuss the meaning of personal responsibility, ethics, and norms, just those terms. And one thing we've talked about is that the MDE SEL standards draw connections to academic standards as well. And in ELA, this comes up in a ninth grade standard where students are recognizing ethical standards and safety practices in social and personal media communications. And then in science, there are several standards where we're understanding the effects of ethics on how research is conducted. So those are right there in ELA standards and science standards, some natural opportunities where having students develop an understanding of what personal responsibility means, what ethics means what norms are, are going to naturally occur in the curriculum. Yeah, I have the same the same one, but a different activity. So my activity is assign reports that ask students to learn about a figure in history who showed personal responsibility and ethics. Ask how their sense of responsibility and ethics affected their decisions. So maybe you teach history and you can have uh, your students consider those factors when leaders have had to make wartime decisions. Perhaps maybe you can have them research and discuss Truman's responsibility and ethical dilemma when he was faced with the decision on whether or not to drop the atomic bomb. Some consider that to be the biggest moral dilemma in history and whether or not he made the right decision. He was definitely a leader that had to take careful consideration of all of those things and how his decision would have affected others. And I just wanted to point out, um, I like that when we're coming up with examples of of these activities in practice, we tend to think of really, really big scale things like <laughs> the, literally the greatest ethical dilemma in the history of the human race. <laughs> and you're probably going to you're probably going to um, be able to spot or as you're uh, lesson planning some some lower stakes decisions than that. <laughs> The last benchmark we'll talk about is regularly demonstrate the use of systematic decision-making by identifying a decision, gathering information, and assessing alternative resolutions. So an activity for this one could be to read current events and discuss how a decision was made and evaluate the quality of that decision against a clearly defined criteria. Um, so for example, did the individual appear to follow a good decision-making strategy? So an example for this could be reviewing the circumstances surrounding the Brexit decision and how that vote was kind of held before the people that were going to be impacted could properly vet all the alternatives or um, really make a good choice about that decision to leave or not. And there are so many other examples within current events that you can use. Like we said, we tend to use big scale things, but there's small <laughs> things. There's small things in the county newspaper all the time that you can talk about. Simple votes for school funding, those types of things that come up all the time. And plenty of examples in pop culture where it appears that someone made an impulsive choice without doing all of their due diligence and research. Yeah, lots of opportunities to prompt this critical thinking for students. Absolutely. So let's talk takeaways. So responsible decision-making, the fifth out of five SEL standards area is kind of like our compass. 
We're making decisions all the time, and we're always having opportunities to use the skill set. And the skills that are included in the standards area include knowing our options, being able to weigh the pros and cons of each option, understanding the consequences of each option, and making a good choice for ourselves and others. And at young ages, like we said, this is simple decisions like what's safe versus unsafe. But by the time we get to high school, we're getting to some very sophisticated choices where we're factoring in ethics and societal norms. And the standards area also covers not just making the decisions, but reflecting afterward on the choices we've made and and learning from our mistakes. And in addition to spending dedicated time actually teaching this skill set, like we talked in the episode about actually spending dedicated time teaching students a decision-making formula, and that could be like your explicit SEL instruction, there are also endless opportunities to weave this learning in throughout the school day when students are making choices spontaneously, when they're faced with choices in the middle of a lesson, when they're talking about the choices that a literary character made or a historical character made, when they're using their critical thinking skills when it comes to current events. So many examples. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today and for hanging out with us during this five-part series on weaving SEL into academic instruction. Make sure to subscribe, and if you're on YouTube, click the bell so that you're notified when new episodes are released each week. We'll see you when you come back for another slice of SEL. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.